Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In a world full of rules and restrictions, Boost Mobile offers a new idea. Introducing Unlimited, unhooked for just $50 a month. No overages, no games. Just the freedom to rock tunes 24-7. Show the world what they missing when they don't follow you. So if you out there living that unlimited life, unlimited unhooked is the plan for you. Set yourself free with Boost Mobile, a proud sponsor of an unlimited world. Boost Mobile, where you at? Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. And welcome back to the Football by Football Podcast. This is In the Game, our show kind of kicking off the NFL 2016 season. We're back. We're ready to roll. On with me, as always, is my partners and co-host, Brady Quinn. How you doing, Brady? Doing well. Ready for the football season to get started. Aren't we all? And Brady Papanga, uh, a former linebacker on the line here as well, out from L.A. We're doing an early morning taping here, so he's doing the Sunrise Special. How's it going, Brady? It's good, man. Just got out of bed. Uh, feeling good, though, I'll tell you. Fresh. Yeah. We're doing, we're doing the show today on coffee, all, all three of us. Uh, sometimes we tape night shows, and for me that's more scotch, but today we're going straight coffee, which is a different kind of show, but it'll be fun. So right off the top here, before we dive into sort of the meat here, and we got a lot because there's a big weekend of games coming up as the season kicks off, need to sort of provide that little uh, service announcement for the fans of Football by Football out there, let you know what's been going on. We, we dropped some messages from time to time way back in the spring that we were sort of reconfiguring the website and the podcast itself this is our first show for the season we're going to be doing this each and every week throughout the year uh doing this in the game podcast but uh, the football website itself we decided to rebuild the website so we're going to have a real sort of video heavy much more personal interactive stuff with all of our other guys that work for the site uh, and really try to reconfigure the website so You'll have much more interaction, much more video content, things along that nature, breakdowns that are in video rather than in column form. So that's being built now. Uh, it'll be ready to go here in just about a week or so, and we'll continue to send messages to you people out there through social media, let you know the updates. But when it drops, it's going to be exciting. Love the new look to the website. Love the way we can sort of format and get new content to you people. So that's exciting, but that's what's going on right now, and uh, we'll keep you abreast. But on these other things, this big NFL season that sits out in front of us, I wanted to dive into some of these topics, and there's so much to cover, and it's so difficult in a show here that's that's less than an hour to really touch on everything. So we wanted to kind of hit on the high points, the things that we thought as former players was most important for you to, to sort of have a good piece of context as you head into this first first weekend of NFL football. So we've gone through an offseason draft and free agency and all that stuff and training camp and preseason games. And it's kind of all in the rear view now. 
and now we've got games. I wanted to kind of pop to each of you guys what through all those processes, uh, whichever the four really you know resonated with you more. What was the top surprise as we head in here to kick off you know, to kick off Thursday? Really, this first game where the Broncos and Carolina face each other, and then a full slate of games over the weekend. What's the one thing that has really been the top surprise for you as we head into this real deal? I'll start with you, Brady Papenga, out there in LA. Yeah, my top surprise has to do with the San Francisco 49ers. Why in the world do you bring a guy in like Chip Kelly who runs this spread offense with the read option and you don't have Kaepernick penciled in as your starter? What the? I'm, I'm shocked by that, especially when you're paying the guy already $12 million bucks in the offseason. You try to get rid of him. You couldn't pull that off, so you're still on the hook to pay the guy $12 million bucks. His upside is by far greater than anything Blaine Gabbert can offer yeah, they have those guys supposedly between quotations co- compete, which they did, and it ended up being a legit competition, which many of those aren't. Uh, and so you're wondering what the, you know, what, what's going on there? Why, why are we doing this? Why are we going through the charade? And I understand with, uh, you know, Chip Kelly, he had to have it be a legitimate competition so he doesn't lose credibility with his locker room because that's the first thing that sort of goes when all of a sudden you say there's a competition. The guy doesn't even participate because of injury, how does it, you know, how at the end of it could he win it? And so, and that's the very thing that got him after that in Philadelphia was he was not very, uh, I should say he lost his credibility with the locker room. And so uh, to me, it's just why, why in the world aren't you going with the guy that's going to give you the greatest upside? You have the greatest amount of investment in and uh, Colin Kaepernick. And now you're going with a guy that has a record as a starter that uh, isn't very good and is a guy that you can tell that in, in the preseason, I mean, he was off on little flare swing routes. The guy was somewhat of a uh, scrambled, you know, kind of brain kind of guy. And in offense, it's pretty straightforward and pretty uh, basic when you talk about the quarterback reads. All right, he's too. I'm think- curious. I, I, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say I, I'm a little curious that, that how much that shoulder injury he had – really played like if they they you touched on it like you've invested so much he does have what would presumably be the best fit there but then how much did him just not being available and losing all that weight and having to rehab himself back did that sort of was that the death knell I, I don't know but it is a it is a pretty peculiar situation out there so to you Brady Quinn so what was sort of your top surprise of this offseason I, I was still shocked that Brock Osweiler didn't sign back uh, with the Denver Broncos. Wow. I mean, as, as a quarterback, when I'm looking at, you know, what the Denver Broncos offer as a team, uh, it just made no sense to me how you wouldn't want to come back with that defense as, as good as they are, the wide receiver uh, duo that you have, both in Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, um, and then a running game. You bring back C.J. Anderson, you draft Devontae Booker. Booker, you know, after the fact, but still C.J. Anderson came back. Any improvements they made on the offensive line, I mean, this was basically your team to lead potentially to another Super Bowl uh, when you have a very good opportunity to do that with that defense. So I'm, I'm still a bit shocked. I mean, I think sometimes uh, the grass doesn't always end up being green on the other side. And I think Houston did a good job of trying to build a little bit around Brock Osweiler. Um, but I, I don't know that it's as good of a team. I think we, we've kind of seen that in the past. Who knows if J.J. Watt will be able to come back and be as effective um, that division for itself in the AFC South, I think, got better. So it should be just just as competitive as the NFC West is. Uh, so I, I was just shocked by that decision. You know, even if he took a little bit less money, he could try to earn it back in bonuses and incentives because they're most likely going to be playing in the postseason. And he would have most likely been, you know, leading them possibly to another Super Bowl. So that being the case, I was still shocked by uh, how that all, I guess, transpired and really didn't work out. 
What a weird situation too, Brady Quinn. I, I, the idea that I, I'm, I, I'm hard pressed to think of one, maybe either you two guys can think of one where the team that has just won the Super Bowl goes into week one. They play the Thursday night game, as we mentioned against Carolina with this many question marks. I, I just don't remember a time where sort of sentiment for a, a defending champ has been this muddled, let's say. Uh, I mean, Trevor Simeon appears to have won the job. They're giving him the job. Mark Sanchez, loses it comes in is given a good amount of money a, a million dollar signing bonus to basically play training camp I mean that's, that's a big number to eat just to just for you know off season. Uh but what an unusual situation that they're in to to be unsettled at the most important position in football coming off a championship losing a handful of guys to free agency too I, I think we cannot overlook that that was an exceptional defense but they give away the middle linebacker and one of their top defensive linemen goes south to Florida so it's it's a it's a weird thing I don't know where Denver sits they think their defense is better than a year before I think that's a little bit of fluff I guess we'll all see uh for mine personally here I'll, I'll transition into what was the biggest surprise for me and I know we have a lot of New England fans here and you know working their preseason games and and all that and working here in the market it, it is kind of the hyper focus but I looked at how the offensive line came together and I was sort of trying to look at big picture like all oh, who are the real players you know the Denver's the Carolina's the the you know the Patriots presumably maybe the Steelers the Seahawks those kind of teams that if you were to put your six or eight teams down that you think have a legitimate chance of actually coming back and and challenging for a Super Bowl I think the Patriots are still in that mix and, and I looked at all the problems they had a year ago in the AFC championship game with their offensive line and they were just average protection away from being in the Super Bowl and we having a different champion maybe not them maybe it was Carolina in a matchup who knows but that was really the story of, of that team uh, and for them to to settle it, this this training camp, at least it appears so in preseason, to me is a much bigger story than J- the Jimmy Garoppolo, Tom Brady stuff. I know that that is going to steal the headlines, and rightfully so. It's an easy story to talk about. But I don't think if you have either Jimmy Garoppolo or Tom Brady in there and the offensive line played like it did in the AFC Championship, you have much of a chance against most teams. And again, they came down to one possession against the Broncos. So Nate Solder's back at left tackle, so they have their s- sort of solid guy there on the left side. The guy who was playing left tackle, Marcus Cannon, and he was playing it with a busted toe, uh, is now on the right side and healthy and won a camp job where a lot of people here locally didn't have a ton of faith in the guy. And he had one of the best camps I've had him see as a pro, really looked dominant at times, finishing blocks, all those kind of things. And they bring in a guy called named Joe Tooney, uh, uh, I believe is a third round pick from NC State at the left guard position. And he kind of looks like their new Mankins. He's like a day one as a rookie basically plugged him in from the very first practice has been as solid as any of the five guys out there they let brian stork go uh tried to trade him ends up releasing him when he fails physicals who was their starting center in the, in the super bowl two years ago uh a, a fourth round pick out of florida state a guy that i think at those times we thought is hey this is your center for the next 10 years he's gone david andrews is plugged in there and david has looked exceptional undrafted guy from georgia who started a bunch of games for him a year ago the only unsettled position is that right guard spot uh shaq mason from Georgia Tech had looked good there a year ago, probably the highest graded guy in that AFC championship game. But uh, Shaq has a giant cast on his hand. So the decision on day one to go with Jonathan Cooper, the former first round pick for the Cardinals, who missed all of training camp in the preseason, got hurt on the very first day with a Liz Frank thing in his foot. Uh, is it going to be him? Is it going to be Shaq? Is it going to be Ted Karras, Mongo's uh, son <laughs> from the old Blazing Saddles? Ted Karras is Alex Karras' son. Uh, but the, the point is, this 
thing that was such a huge issue for them a year ago. They fire the or don't resign, excuse me, the offensive line coach, uh, Hall of Fame dude uh, Dante Scarnecchia returns. All of a sudden, the offensive line looks like it may be a strength. To me, the, if they don't have those question marks, all of a sudden, regardless of Brady missing four games, that deep team becomes extremely dangerous. So that was the biggest surprise to me. I, I didn't expect that kind of growth. Again, you'll have to do it on game day. You got to do it in, uh, against Arizona in a real deal. But uh, I thought that was a very positive, a positive development that that could change the face of things in the AFC. Uh, now, switching here to the next topic, we'll get into something else that I think is is equally important when we talk about, you know, going through the 2015 season, going through an offseason, really what teams are trying to do is improve themselves, figure out what we don't do well and what we now need to, need to do better, what, what change needs to happen, whether it be through scheme and a coach, personnel, getting the guys on your team to play a different way, whatever it is, uh, rookies, all those kinds of things. I wanted to send this to you, Brady Papenga, and say, you know, what team out there sort of did the best sort of self-rehabilitation job was what team took care of their deficiencies you most and makes you most excited about them heading into 2016? You know, I'd say it'd be the Miami Dolphins, you know, and just because hmm. if you look at quarterbacks, especially successful ones like Tom Brady, you got the old school ones like Steve Young, Montana, the current ones like Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees. One common denominator with all of them is they have a coach that complements them very well and also builds schemes around their abilities to where they can thrive. And that's one thing that a guy like Tannehill has yet to have. Joe Philbin was supposed to be that guy, and he was supposedly more of an offensive line kind of guy. And so he just didn't have that connection with the quarterback to where uh, Tannehill could thrive. Adam Gase, as we know, he's a little bit different. I mean, the fact that he was able to take a guy like Jay Cutler so guys, I have more memories of Jay Cutler throwing completions to our team when I play with the Packers than I do with his own. Shows you how well he can work with quarterbacks when he was in Chicago. And now he's down in Miami with a guy like Tannehill that you'll see Tannehill. He'll make throws that it'll make you step back and go, wow, this guy is something else. And then there's other times where he's not as good. I do believe Adam Gase can bring out the consistent performance in Tannehill with his scheme, with his knowledge, with his ability to be able to connect with his quarterback. And so uh, I, I love that about what they did down there. And also I love the fact that they bring in Vance Joseph, the former defensive back coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, down there as a defensive coordinator. Last year they had a defense that was horrendous because they had a guy like Anamik and Sue basically two-gapping, which is – that's nothing – he's never done that on a successful level, on an elite level anyway – throughout his whole career, and all of a sudden you pay the guy $50 million guaranteed, you bring him in, and you say, yeah, we're going to have you do something that you really haven't done very well, and that very thing that made you so valuable, you know what, we're not going to ask you to do that. Are you kidding? Talk about delusional. That's what they were. So anyway, it's nice to see that they've made some scheme changes down there that's going to fit their players. You know, Cameron Wake's coming back. He, was, he had seven sacks in seven games last year, popped his Achilles, and Vance Joseph came out and said, yep, mm. We're going to just play this guy on third down or in passing situations to, you know, keep him fresh. He's going to be 34 if he's not already this year. And so I like that kind of deal. And uh, and so I think Adam Gase is probably going to be the big key, though, because he's the guy that's going to be ultimately that the, the complementary piece to Ryan Tannehill that can maybe get him over the top. How about you, Brady Quinn, sort of rehab situation, somebody who's either schemed through or coaching change or just simply changing philosophy with a team or a player to rehab their their hopes? 
Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, for me, it's a team that they didn't really make, I guess I want to say a whole lot of changes, um, you know, schematically, but really it's, it's been just the additions that they've made to the roster to help bolster it. And it's the Jacksonville Jaguars, a team that really has a lot of buzz. And they've loaded up not only through the draft, but also in free agency, the signing of Malik Jackson from Denver. Um, obviously, they, they bring in Prince Amukamura to Sean Gibson in the secondary as well. You add that uh, to Jalen Ramsey, their first-round pick, Miles Jack, their second-round yeah. pick, uh, Yannick Ngakwe, Sheldon Day. I mean, their first four-round picks, all defensive-minded. I mean, this is a team that I feel like looked at last season and said, okay, we have the firepower in offense, which, by the way, they add Chris Ivory at running back position, Kelvin Beecham at the tackle position. Um, so they add all those pieces there, and, and you look at what they're saying. They're basically saying, look, we're a, a defense being able to stop people away from being able to make something happen. And, and I think that's where the Jacksonville Jaguars feel like they might have the edge in the AFC South this year. I think people believe that Blake Bortles is the quarterback of the future. The biggest issue has been they're always playing from behind. They haven't been able to stop anyone. Right. So to me, getting Dante Fowler back, their first-round pick from a year ago, uh, and all the additions that they've made, and even Chris Ivory, his running style matches T.J. Yeldon. They should be able to control the ball a little bit more in time of possession. They should be able to affect passers better and cover down on the back end. All those signs are pointing to a team that I think may be one of those teams that, to that, that takes a big leap this year uh, because they're, they finally kind of built this roster to be as talented as any and as competitive as any at least in the AFC South. Interesting. It's, it's, you know, we, we, I kept this sort of question open to the floor, seeing which way you guys would go. And one went with Miami, the other went with the other Florida team there in Jacksonville. And I think, I think those are, those are interesting picks and in that we're talking about teams that in Miami's case, they've, they've lived in the middle class for years and years and years, right? It's something that we see all the time in the AFC East. It's just like, what's going to be the thing that can get them into the top of an AFC East? Even if it's not past the Patriots, it's into a playoff scenario where maybe they're matched against someone else. Uh, and it's, that's always been sort of that, that's the benchmark for them. Can they make that leap? Uh, Jacksonville, I, I, again, from a fantasy standpoint, and I will get into a lot more of that stuff as the season gets rolling, but Jacksonville's got some incredibly interesting situations there with their, you know, the, the two personnel that they have a wide receiver with Robinson and uh, Hearn and then Julius Thomas, second year after the contract, a little healthier. All, and then all the other rehab that, that Brady Quinn did a great job of running through on their defense. I think they're a really, really interesting team. The team that I'm going with is in the same vein, I think, as what you guys are talking about, a lower to mid-class team that that is really trying to make the jump. For me, it's Tennessee. Tennessee is is – I think a really curious case and they sit a little bit in that sort of weird realm of what, what exactly are they, that are you, you talk about run game importance and sort of being a little more ball control kind of situation. And those kind of teams have to play exceptional defense. Tennessee hasn't and has to really be able to sort of lead with the run game. And then a lot of it becomes play action off of that, or you're using your dynamic quarterback, Marcus Mariota. I, I look at him and sort of the misuse of RG three early on Mariota had a nice year, but I just feel like there's a little bit more there if they'll do more dynamic outside the pocket plays, let him run and let him use the slide to, to keep himself safe. 
But what I like uh, from sort of a rehab standpoint is just that I think they really tuned up their offensive weapons. Uh, we know that they were exceptional at the tight end position. That was really sort of where they had to roll with the ball each and every time last year because there was so much uncertainty in the wide receiver group. They let Doriel Green Beckham go a year after drafting him to the Eagles for a song, um, in, in part because he was sort of a raw guy. He was a real huge high upside guy, but not a technician, not sort of a reliable game-in, game-out, catch-gobbler kind of dude. Instead, they bring in Tajay Sharp, uh, a mid-draft pick from the UMass uh, Minutemen, obviously not a huge program in FBS, but Tajay has been sort of the guy throughout camp, really the, the camp story in Tennessee. Uh, oddly enough, Marcus Mariota this week talks about how he makes it easy, which is not the kind of thing you usually hear about with a mid-round pick from a smaller FBF school. Tajay has really been an exciting camp story. I got to cover a lot of his games. I'm excited to see where he slots in. But beyond just sort of, I think, tuning up with a little more reliable options in the passing game, they did the things you have to do to have a, a run-first kind of program. They really went out and invested in the running back position, re-sort of furbished the offensive line. They got DeMarco Murray in-house and Derrick Henry, who was probably the biggest monster in anyone's backfield this year, who could potentially carry it. So linebacker coming downhill, having to see a guy that reminds me a little of you know Brandon Short or something like that from back in the days. Uh, I think that's exciting that someone has sort of looked at the philosophy they want to, the kind of team they want to be, looked at what their philosophy is going to be. Mike Malarkey, in, in part, I think, has adopted a little of what Carolina has had so much success with. Hey, we got an oddball quarterback that is extremely talented, but does things a little different than other people. We run first. Uh, we'll let him do dynamic plays off of that, and we need to play better defense. That's the one question mark. I think they've rehabbed themselves for what they think they can be offensively. Defensively, still some question marks there, but I, I like the steps that they took. So transitioning here to sort of a third topic, uh, whenever we sort of pump up the teams that we like what they've done, we, we really have to look at the other side of the coin as well and say, you know what, there's some teams that had some positive stuff a year ago, but they may be a likely step back in this year. Who had either a rough offseason, some you know, transition of some sorts, or you just don't like what they've done with themselves since the last season closed? I'll start with you again, Brady Papinga. What do you think? You know, I mean, logically, in this one that pops in my head, the first team is the Patriots, just because of all the drama with Tom Brady, the fact he's going to be out four weeks. Not that it's, you know, he's going to be out, like, injured or off to the sideline. He's going to be able to, you know, tutor Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, this guy is going to be out. I mean, he's going to Gone, be yeah. on his own island, you know, doing whatever he's got to do. And so his influence isn't going to be, going to be felt. But you got Bill Belichick. You know what I mean? And he's going to be able to overcome that. Most other franchises would not be able to overcome that. I almost see the New England Patriots using that as fuel, so I'm not going to say them. Although they're probably the most logical to take a step back with all that's going on there. Ninkovich, Ninkovich, right? That's his last name? Uh, yep, Ninkovich, yep. about tearing, Yeah, tearing his triceps uh, is a big loss for them. But, but again, like Bill Belichick, he's, he always does the unthinkable, the illogical of being able to basically take a bag of goods, and even if it isn't something that makes sense, he somehow does some mixture and does, you know, his magic wand and boom, pops out a team that's competitive. But the team that's going to take the biggest step back is the Broncos. And it's all John Elway's fault. Are you kidding me? you got a guy <laughs> like Brock Osweiler that you know has some kind of upside as a starter a couple years ago. Why don't you start talking contract then and say, hey, man, let's lock you up and, and offer him, like, you know, $6 million a year if you're a backup. And you don't, it, you'll probably take that. Thinking, oh, my gosh, compared to my rookie deal, I got two years left. I haven't even touched the field as a starter. Boom, and give him $6 million, which – John Elway knows at the very least he'd have a backup 
in-house for a while. Then, you know, Peyton moved on. You still got the guy locked up. Nope, you take him to free agency, and all of a sudden he's got options. He's a little offended, it seemed like, and he leaves you. Now you're sort of stuck. What do we do with the quarterback? Well, he doesn't feel like, he, you know, it's that big of a deal knowing how they won the Super Bowl. The next level goes to Von Miller. Again, a guy that you probably should have addressed his contact, contract situation a couple years ago so that you could get a deal, give him a contract so you don't have to worry about dealing with him in and at the time he comes to free agency with the whole tag and him being out and then, you know, all the drama, deal with it. And then the whole uh, – the fact that you're going to be taking up a lot of your cap space to, to retain that guy. Uh, but to me, the biggest right. loss is Malik Jackson. Malik Jackson, to me, was really the key between Demarcus Miller and Vaughn Miller because you talk to any quarterback. Brady, you could probably speak to this yourself. When I, You know, they ask, who are you most worried about as rushers? Most times people think, well, it's those Vaughn Millers, the Demarcus Wares of the world – but it's not. It's that middle push. Because if you got a middle push, you can't step up for your quarterback. It, 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 it impedes right. your ability to look downfield, which then puts you in that ideal deep position where guys like Bob Miller and DeMarcus Ware, when they are running that horn, that hoop, they can strip sack you. They can get to you at that point. And so, to me, Malik, letting him go is another huge, huge problem by John Elway. Again, a guy that you could have you know, targeted early on in his career with a couple years left on his deal or a year left on his deal and started the contract negotiation process to get him at a at a deal so that you could uh, keep all your guys, stop breaking the bank, and then you uh, don't risk losing him in free agency. So they just have way too many losses on that team, whether it's from a leadership standpoint like Peyton Manning was. You know, it wasn't really productive last year, but his influence was more felt in leadership. To guys like Malik Jackson, Trevathan on the defense side of the ball that were your middle of your defense, teeth of your defense, especially the middle push in your, in your pass rush, and you really don't have anybody to uh, replace him. And so to me, it just makes sense that the Denver Broncos are going to take the biggest step back this year. It'd be interesting to see, Brady, if they if they made the right choice because they, they re-upped Derek Wolf. They did the early contract him and they let Malik test free agency and lost him. So did they make the right choice? I guess time will tell on that. So Brady Quinn, how about yourself? Uh, what's your likely Steckback team and why? Well, it's going to be the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, really a team that went 7-9 mm. and nine last year was still in contention for the NFC East up until the last few weeks of the season, even with all the turmoil going on between Chip Kelly and general manager Howie Roseman. Um, you know, you, you look at what this team has really transitioned to, and it, it's a team that's rebuilding. I mean, they just got rid of their starter for the season. They've been going the entire preseason after drafting the number two overall pick saying Sam Bradford was going to be their guy. They signed him to a two-year deal, $22 million guaranteed. We've all seen that. And they trade him away for a first and a conditional fourth-round pick to the Minnesota Vikings, who clearly had a need. So as much as I think Howie Roseman, when you look at that and say, oh, we got back some of what we gave up for Carson Wentz, it is mind-boggling to think that up until a week ago, this guy wasn't even going to be active week one of the regular season. <laughs> now somehow he's ready to play and they've seen everything they need to see. He's been injured. He's had sore He's been injured, ribs. ribs. I mean, he's, yeah. he's literally had 39 plays in the preseason, which is a third <laughs> when you compare it to a lot of other quarterbacks that have drafted the last four years. And even yeah. in that first game, there are a lot of things I thought he kind of struggled with from here and there. So this is a team, to me, that's kind of on their way to, you know, maybe a 3-13, and 4-12 and 12 record after really com- you know, being competitive last year for the division. The people can say whatever they want about Chip Kelly and Sam Bradford, but, you know, look, every rookie's got to go through a transition period, and the way they're throwing Carson Wentz kind of to the wolves immediately without much preparation, I mean, look, maybe this kid will be you know, the next Tom Brady. Who knows? I'm just saying he seems ill-prepared 
And it's not necessarily the jump from the FCS level. We've seen that before. It's going to be the fact that he hasn't actually run the operations of, of playing an NFL offense in an NFL game, really, like other past guys have had at least the opportunity to do in preseason. Like at least Dak Prescott, we've seen do it in preseason, and he's actually, you know, absolutely blown everyone out of the water. So I think Cowboys fans probably are looking at him right. saying, we're a little more hopeful because we've seen it before. We have not seen that from Carson Wentz. He's never even played against starters besides the guys lined up across from on his own team. Yeah, I wonder if they'll damage him. Uh, you've you've hammered on this point for the last couple of years on on football by football, but just the notion of of taking a guy along and and and, and investing time and energy and developing the guy, and he got hurt. And now you're, you you stole my cliche that was on the tip of my tongue. They're going to throw him to the wolves. You look at Jared Goff across the country, the the, the first overall for for St. Louis. Well, now L.A. and uh, he's a guy that uh, may be inactive on week one behind Case Keenum. I mean, that's the developmental yeah. route, and, and it, to me, would make much more sense for Carson Wentz, but it's like, okay, well, we have this roster situation now, and they, they invested in, you know, the other backup from Kansas City. It, it's kind of odd that Chase Daniels doesn't get the nod and let Carson continue to develop, especially since he missed reps. You touched on the 39-rep number. Jimmy Garoppolo's had two seasons under his belt of developmental time, goes into a third preseason uh for himself and gets about a hundred ish reps, you know, over the course of three games, that's developmental time. Uh, good luck, you know, and I, and I hate, I hate that, you know, three or four years or now we might talk about Carson as a washout. I certainly hope that that's not the case, but I think you can look at some of these August decisions right now in real time is, is what might sort of affect how that works out. So I'll be quick on mine. My step back team is the Bengals. Uh, the reason I look at them is just, I think they've lost too much uh, for what became their identity a year ago. The three of us spent a lot of time and, and Rocky Boyman as well, sort of hammering through all the different stuff that I think made the Bengals special last year, why they were such a tough matchup. They did not out when AJ Dalton got hurt later in the year, but that was a ridiculous offense with AJ green and, and the two backs of Jim Bernard and the other guy's name I'm blanking on, uh, but also having Jeremy sort Hill. of, yes, Jeremy Hill, but all from LSU. Yes. But also having sort of that next layer of, 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 reliable targets at the two, three, and four spot as wide receivers. So, you know, Marvin Jones leaves, uh, Muhammad Sanu leaves. I don't think they've really refilled the tank. Uh, You know, we know how good Tyler Eifert had been at the tight end position, and the dude goes down and gets injured at that worthless Pro Bowl thing, has an ankle injury. News as we're recording the show right now, Brady does not have Tyler Eifert active on week one. So, they have a real lot of question marks at what made them special. So you've got AJ Dalton. He's in the meat of his contract where the caps start to bounce a little bit, where you really need to get more out of it. And I just don't, I I think that they will have taken a step back off and offensively and they were dynamic that way. Uh, Marvin Jones has looked crazy good in, in in Detroit and almost seems sacrilegious to say it, but obviously Calvin Johnson was, is an amazing talent. One of the best of, of this last generation, but the offense almost to me seems to operate a little better uh, because they don't have the, the one guy they got to force it to. The ball's been spread around much more. I know it's a little different offensive approach now as well. But Marvin Jones has been <laughs> looked really great throughout the preseason. Looks like he can maybe be Stafford's favorite target. And he gets sort of the roll bump by virtue of not being there under A.J. Green's shadow. So I, I just am not certain, not sold at this point that the Bengals can be what they once were uh, unless they address some of these things. They went young in a lot of places. And in the absence of Tyler Eifert, They've got Tyler Croft, the other Tyler at tight end, but he's been injured with a knee injury. So they're not going to be that two tight end offense. There's some question marks about 
you know, young guys being able to brought up to speed quickly enough at, the, at those other depth positions. And then it becomes, oh, we're forcing it to A.J. Green, you know. And we're, do we, you know, maybe we look, a little, the, the Bengals look a little bit like like the Lions of old. So I think that was a team that became extremely dangerous, was on the, on the verge, and uh, maybe back to a more modest, just sneaking in the playoffs as opposed to one of the more dangerous teams in the AFC in the AFC. So we lost Brady Quinn. Brady's got to jump onto his XM show, uh, Sirius XM show uh, with Bruce Murray. So he's not going to be able to answer this final question. But the fourth question, I think the, the thing that's on a lot of people's minds, we, we've talked a lot about off seasons and adjustments and things of that nature. Now we get to dive into the actual games themselves, the actual matchups. I know the Carolina one in Denver is sort of an obvious choice. The, the Patriots game and, and, and the Cardinals, because it's two teams that both made the championship game playing on week one, that's an obvious compelling choice beyond that what Brady Papinga is sort of a really intriguing game to you that might be a little more under the radar but really pits some teams that you're interested to see what they're going to be who's that who who are those teams and what is that game this week oh it's going to be the Dallas Cowboys versus the New York Giants and it's because of Dak Prescott I mean if you got you know this eye on him it's it's like he passed the eye test in the preseason you know and it's hard to really see if a guy guys success the preseason is going to carry over and so uh, that's the biggest thing that's intriguing to me is I looked at him like yeah this guy's going to be successful now is he going to be successful to the level that he showed in terms of productivity in the preseason as he as in the regular season and I'm, I don't know about that but I do believe he's going to be successful and so that that we'll see if that carries over another thing is is with Scott Linehan the offense coordinator with the Dallas Cowboys you have a special talent on your hands in terms of his ability to run the ball are you going to pull what the Shanahan's did a couple years ago and uh, RG3 was a rookie, which is basically take that read option, have that be the foundational piece of your offense, but yet still run your stuff like they have the zone blocking scheme and in th- the West Coast concepts. You know, right. will Scott Linehan do that with uh, Dak Prescott, which to me it only makes it his job much more easier because I know when we were playing RG3 back in 2012 when I was with the Dallas Cowboys, you know, Rob Ryan has one of the most complex schemes imaginable and when we went into that last game to determine if we would have won a division and gotten to the playoffs i looked at our play sheet and it was the most pared down basic call sheet ever and rob ryan admitted to it he's like guys i don't want to be sending a safety blitz off the edge and him having to read you know whether it's a you know a dive play or the quarterback's keeping it he's like he's never practiced that and you know we're not going to put him in positions like that and so if you can implement that for Dak Prescott, it only is going to make, in theory, the defense is more simple. I don't know if Scott Linehan has that uh, open-mindedness and uh, scheme flexibility and creativity to pull that off. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he does. And then, again, it'll be interesting to see if Dak Prescott's, uh, you know, what he did in the preseason just in terms of passing the eye test, of having the sure. poise, the leadership, and all those kinds of things that that translates here at the next level. And we'll find out against the New York Giants. Well, my my big one that uh, I find most interesting, b- because I'm going to pick two teams that I think are sort of nipping at the heels of competition on their side of the conference. Uh, one, Vegas, for whatever reason, each and every year, just it feels like de facto throws the Indianapolis Colts in as maybe a top five or top six or seven favorite for Super Bowl, which always is weird to me. It's like, 
they're just, you know, it's like an actuary doing sort of statistics and saying, well, they've got Andrew Luck, they got a chance. But the oddball thing to me is that that there's such good feelings around them. And the defense to me is really, I mean, this is Chuck Pagano, Chuck Pagano from, from Baltimore, you know, that the the teams that lead defensively first and just the inability to really turn that group over and have it be a defensive first kind of team and really have such a, quarterback led organization kind of feel to it where you know if they don't go out and throw for 400 yards and a bunch of touchdowns it's you know they're screwed I just always I'm curious to see what lessons they learned from a year ago Andrew Luck is bat Dante Moncrief I think could make a huge jump at the wide receiver position Frank Gore is there and actually had a surprise productive year a year ago can they still sort of find run game protection is the old line better uh is Luck gonna play better I mean there were there was a lot of times and we wrote on this extensively on football by football and talked about it on our show as well but a lot of the mistakes were just on Andrew too and and I give him all the credit in the world Uh, I usually don't see this where the organization comes out and sort of covers for him and says hey we got to block better and Andrew comes out and says nah I got to play better he's like I didn't play well last year and he he was pretty candid in some of his own problems and I think there were plenty of moments where had he played better whatever they were mentioning about Offensive line investment wouldn't have been that big of a deal. Struggled with blitz pickup, struggled with finding easier options, always wanted to force in the difficult throw. So I'm really interested in the game with the Colts and Lions uh, because I think it pits two teams that have a number of question marks about them. I'll flip to the other side and look at the Lions. I'm really intrigued to see what they can be because I love the addition of Marvin Jones. I've loved what I've seen of him thus far through camp. I think he can really grow into that kind of role where he's an early target. Where in Cincinnati, you know, week to week, he'd get lost a little bit. But some of the other pieces that they've added over the years, I think can really shine. It's just to me a more balanced offensive approach, three or four guys deep that can get touches. The one question mark though is tight end. And it's something if they can get some production from Ebron, the world sort of changes. Uh, Amir Abdullah is a difference maker in the backfield but has been incredibly inconsistent so is the running game going to be there we don't know is the tight end who's a little nicked up too is we don't know what we're going to see from Ebron in week one you know where does he fit into that uh, but because of the leadership there uh, because of sort of the steadying the ship they approach they have at head coach I'm a little less concerned that this is going to be a step back team more one that I think could potentially be a step forward right? while a lot of attention rightfully so goes to the Packers and Vikings uh, but I obviously with with Bridgewater going down, that really changes the face of what you might expect from that team and is Detroit their position to take the step forward. So I just like the matchup. It's I think it's a compelling one, and I think it's two teams that could either make a lot of hay or take you know move in the wrong direction in their respective conferences. So my focus will be there. One final sort of going away point here is as we sort of sign off on this first show, Brady Pepenga. And I was curious, sort of your thoughts here as the Kaepernick stuff, we got non-football yeah. people arguing about this, right? And and I, I didn't want to do sort of a hot take political show. That's that's never really what we're about here. This is more football first. But I'm just curious to get sort of a player take when uh, something like that happens. I know there's sort of an initial reaction, a lot of it's anger. When the player gets a chance to sort of explain himself internally, they, they seem to have had team meetings. They talked about it. It seems like most of his teammates, by and large, accepted what his message was still those people out there that don't like the method but are okay once he'd explained himself how do you think you would have reacted had you been on that team and and what's sort of your take now after it's a couple weeks in the rear view and all of a sudden other players around the league are sort of trickling forward and maybe taking a knee as opposed to straight sitting 
Well, if I was his teammate, I would have made it clear to him that, hey, you know what? The very thing that you're protesting for is what the flag represents. And so we're going to sit right. down to the flag and show a dis- disrespectful pro- uh, posture. You're protesting against yourself, which I, I do believe, you know, Nate right. Boyer, when he went and spoke to him, I, I think they probably had that conversation because I thought it was even more respectful posture to be kneeled or kneeled down like he was than yeah. even to stand. And so my my take on it is I think at first he was doing it for attention because he had been sort of stuck in the shadows. He was heard and everything, and, and he sat down. And because the first time he did, nobody even paid attention, you know. But the second time, I do believe he knew eventually people were going to turn on. And then when all of a sudden – this huge flood of response right. and reaction, and he saw that he hit the nerve. I think it woke him up as a human. I think at first he, he was more, let's you know, let, I'm going to do something that's going to get attention on me. And then second, when he realized that it meant so much, he opened up his sense of humanity and sort of put himself aside and then realized, man, this is big. This is bigger than me. And so I need to figure out how to like, turn what, what, what was initially in a selfish act into something that's a positive and that and that fits the message so i can justify having done what i did and i think he's doing that because he's evolved ever since he pulled that off uh in the preseason i forget what was it week three uh and so yes. uh you know I, I think he's on the right track you know he's talking about donating money i like how he's provoked thought and this conversation oh, oh. I had to hold back a sneeze there buddy <laughs> but uh yeah <laughs> and so allergy uh, season so i like yeah, yeah. So I like how he's provoked the, 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 the conversation around this topic because I do believe it's going to eventually lead to one thing, and that is, is that eventually, because it's all about the local police departments and their interactions with African Americans, that's what the crux of the issue is, but eventually what has to happen is both sides, the police departments, the, whether it's local or national, and guys like Kaepernick, you know, we got Carmelo Anthony, you had Devin Wade, those guys doing their thing, LeBron James and the ESPYs, these guys are all going to have to sit down with these local police departments and eventually figure out, now, how can we get on the same page? Because right now it's almost like they're going back and forth, back and forth, you know, throwing jabs here, throwing jabs there. Eventually it has to lead to where they sit down. I think even DeMarcus Cousins, lo and behold, he's a player with the Sacramento Kings, had a sit-down kind of a town hall-style deal with the local police department and sort of talk things over. And I do believe that's where this is moving, which is it's positive. And so I think overall it's a positive. It didn't start out to be something I do believe Kaepernick looked at as something that would be so impactful on all levels in our in our country and that it would make national news. But I do believe that he hoped it at least bring more attention to him. And then when he realized it was bigger than himself, he even has changed and evolved to, to now being uh, someone that could potentially – make it to where both sides of the aisle, the police, local police department, national police departments, and the African-American uh, culture that's been somewhat mistreated by some of these guys abusing their authority as policemen can come together and talk it over and hopefully uh, be more unified and stand shoulder to shoulder and pulling for more equality throughout all of humanity and society in the U.S. So one of the things that really struck me when, when this happened, and it's so multi-layered and complex, even at this point, where I think it was relatively simple when he was doing it and maybe overly simple. I think one of the problems you get into when you're trying to make a statement is you have to have like a really, really clear uh, view of what you want to come from it. Right. And he sort yeah. of made this message that, uh, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll stop doing it when there's change in America. Well, Dude, you can't have goals that are that broad because, you know, there's no sort of, you know, line in the sand. Like there's a really definitive like, OK, this particular thing I want to change and I'm going to stand up for it. And by of doing it, that's going to be brought out. 
it, it, he's not really, as, as best I understand it, uh, talking about one particular case. Like, hey, this particular person was treated wrongly, and until they're not treated wrongly, I'm not going to stand. That's different, I think, in my view. But when you take like a really obscure, broad view Boy. about all things in America, and, and such a strong and powerful symbol as the flag that stands for infinitely more than the one little issue you're talking about, it makes it really, you put, I think you paint yourself in a corner, because when will it have changed? It's, there's, there's no metric for it. It's just too freaking broad. So I think, yeah. I, I think his heart's in the right place. I don't think it was really well conceived. Uh, but one thing I will concede here that, that I had a, a pretty interesting conversation with a, a friend of mine that's a minority, and I'm not going to put him on, the, on, on blast here. He's not in the media, and he's not a player, so uh, he doesn't want to be on the radio. But <laughs> this, uh, this is a friend, of my, my friend, a friend of mine brought up a, a good point that he said, you know what, I'm a minority, and I, I, I hear where he's coming from. Um, and, you know, I was making sort of the argument, I think that became kind of – kind of uh, popular that, hey, the message is, is fine and he has an absolute right to do it, but I'm not crazy about the method. And his argument was, you have to do crazy stuff to get people to pay attention. And, you know, for people that have changed things that were important to them in history, it wasn't always about, they may have to disrespect something that they shouldn't to get people to pay attention. And I'm thinking in my head and I get that. Like, it's like, if you would have done the respectful, quiet thing, we wouldn't be talking about it. Right. If you wrote a letter, you know, or if he if he showed up at a rally back in June before camp started, it would have been a one day, 24 hour news cycle and have been gone. And he wouldn't have gotten the effect, which again, I don't think has been well thought out, but uh, the effect that he's looking for. So it, it is sort of a, an interesting dynamic there where yeah, you kind of got to do something that might ruffle feathers. I wish these weren't the particular feathers he had chosen, to be honest. But it, it does bring up the point that to, to make stuff change, you, you, you it's kind of hard to respect everyone. But it would have been a little different, I think, if maybe in one of these cities, in NFL City, where it actually corresponds with one of these real heinous things that have happened from a police department. Uh, that would have made more sense to me. But, you know, he's he's pretty far removed from it. It just seemed to be more of a personal thing. So now it's, as you mentioned, sort of local police departments are saying, hey, we actually don't have that problem here. What do you want us to change? You know what I mean? You're, it's our it's our town that in our local precinct that, that is taking this is taking umbrage in what you've done. So I just think that becomes it becomes a little more complex than the initial thought. And it becomes difficult to weigh when it's OK to to now say you're cool with the country, which is it, it, it's tough. But I still respect him for standing up for what he believes in and kind of going at it his own way. I just think, uh, you know, maybe if he'd have staged a rally or lived up on a billboard, you know, for a month or some sort of attention seeking <laughs> thing, you know, would have happened more around the summer. I think he could have, you know, maybe gotten the change he was looking for in a little more specific manner. This one wasn't my favorite method, but uh, I do respect him for, for, for sticking to his guns if, if it's something he really does believe in. So anyhow, that is all we have for this week's show. Uh, thank you so much, people, for tuning in. Thank you, Brady, for being here. Brady Quinn was, was kicking pleasure. ass on the show earlier and had to jump off to his. But uh, it's going to be a fun year, and we're going to dive into things here as we go. See you later, bud. See you, bud. All right. So thank you so much for listening to the Football by Football podcast. That was in the game. Welcome back, folks. It's going to be an exciting year. Make sure you turn into a tune in for us each and every week. 
This FBF podcast can be found for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or on blogtalkradio.com. You can download this FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app. Make sure to check out the footballbyfootball.com Facebook page and give us a follow if on Twitter at FBByFB. Like we mentioned earlier in the front of the show, the website is changing, a whole lot of new things to come, so stay tuned with that on social. We'll keep you abreast. Exciting, exciting stuff coming with FBF. It's going to be a great year. Tons of new content. Can't wait to interact with you guys out there. Thank you so much for fans returning to the show. Keep it tuning in. Keep spreading the word. Thank you, thank you, thank you. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.